Hey everyone, welcome again to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location, Belmont, Massachusetts. My name is Brian, I pastor that location, and it's good to talk to you again. We like it when people are authentic. We like it when what they do matches up with who they say they are. Today we're going to talk about a group of people who Jesus encountered. And this group thought they were something that they really were not. We're going to see how Jesus talks to them and then ask some tough questions about our lives. Are we really who we claim to be? It's an important question. So I hope you enjoy this and I hope you'll listen closely because I believe that God has something he would like to say to you. I came across an article, came across an article this week uh, that was written a while ago. It was in the New York Times. It was written in 2010. I just saw it for the first time this week. And the article was telling some interesting stories. It was talking about the counterfeit market. Now, we all know this exists, right? You've been on the Boston Common or you've been in Times Square and you've seen the folks uh, that have all the counterfeit products and they can look pretty real, can't they? I never thought I'd be able to do this before in my life, but I have my wife to thank. Uh, when I first met my wife, uh, somewhat now, but really when we first met, my wife was, was really into purses and the, and the bags. That was a big deal, right? And I never thought in my life, I, would, I never thought in my life I would be able to tell the difference between a legitimate purse and a knockoff purse. But thanks to my wife, I can tell you, I could be across the room and I could spot it. I'd be like, ah, that's not really it. But we know these markets exist, right? We know these markets exist where there's the real thing and then there's the counterfeit product. Well, this article was talking all about how that happens and how it occurs. And they actually spent time with this owner of a factory in China where this is his deal. He has people contact him from all over the world and they say, we want the knockoff product And he goes and he makes it. And he described how he does it. And he described it specifically in this article with a a shoe, a Nike sneaker. And he said what they do is, in this case, he had gotten a request from uh, some folks in, in Italy. They wanted 200 pairs of a Nike sneaker. And he said what we do at our factory is we go and buy the real sneaker. And then we take it apart piece by piece by piece. And then we lay out all the pieces in front of us, and then we just put it back together again. And that's how we make it. And when we're done, it's really difficult to tell, isn't it? I don't know if you can read the words. I know the words are small, but the one that's on your left is the real Nike shoe, and the one that's on the right is the fake Nike shoe. Now, maybe some of you are like I've become with the purses, and you can tell from your seat which one is real and which one is fake, but it's really difficult to tell, isn't it? What is real and what is not? And even if you get closer, there's some subtle ways to tell. Uh, you can tell with the fake one that the, the, the model number of the shoe isn't quite, quite as crisp. You can also tell that where the leather is cut down towards the bottom of the leather, leather, when it's real, it's nice and smooth. When it's fake, it's a little rough. You can tell if you can see the stitching that on the real shoe, every single stitch is the exact same length and distance. And on the fake one, the stitches vary in length and distance. But it is tough to tell, isn't it? Which one is real and which one is fake? And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things in our life that we can live with believing that they're real. I would be a victim of that. I would go into a store and I would buy that shoe thinking I was buying the right thing. And I would wear that shoe and I probably would never even know that what I had bought was something that was really fake. And it's easy sometimes, isn't it? To get caught up and to live with things that we think are real, but they're actually delusions. It's easy to be tricked. 
And it happens with products, but it also happens with people, right? How many of us know people, we would never be like this, but how many of you know people that they really feel strongly something about themselves, that they're maybe great at something, that they, uh, they do something really well, and everyone else looks at them, everyone else looks, and they, they know they're really not that great at it. It's like the person that uh, auditions for the singing show, and everyone knows they're not good, and somehow they're the only people that don't realize that they're not good, that they shouldn't be on the singing show. Everyone else can see it, but they can't see it. People live with those sort of delusions about themselves, don't they? And I don't know about you, but if I'm honest with myself, I suppose I'm very susceptible to those same sort of delusions where I can believe something about myself, believe it very strongly, and then find out somewhere down the line that it's actually not true, that I'm actually being delusional. And in those sorts of places... Uh, I, I want to find out sooner rather than later that I'm off the mark. I want to know, it's not, maybe not be easy, might be a little painful to find that out, but I want to know sooner rather than later that I'm missing something, that I think I'm great at something, but really I'm, I'm not that good at it. I can tell you nothing's exposed that in my life more than marriage and kids. Marriage and kids will do that to you in a second, where all of a sudden you realize, I thought I was patient, and then I, then I had three children, and now I realize I have a lot to work on when it comes to patience. And so these things get exposed in our lives. We think one thing about ourselves, but really we realize the reality is something different. And this morning, we're going to talk about a group of people who thought they were something, thought they were one thing, and they realized very quickly that there's something else, that they were actually delusional. And the reason they're delusional is because they're in denial about something that's happening in their lives. And their delusion and their denial causes them to dismiss something that's very important. And here's why we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about this this morning because the same thing that happens here in John chapter 8 in this story, the exact same delusion, denial, and dismissal that happened in this story happened in our world and for some of us in our lives every single day. We're actually delusional about, we think something about ourselves that isn't really true. And the reason it's not true is because there's something in our lives that we're actually in denial about. And it causes us to dismiss something that's very important. So we're going to talk about what that is, this delusion and denial and dismissal. And then we're going to talk about the one thing that you and I can do to make it all better again. So when we get into John chapter 8 here in verse 31, and take a look at this verse with me. If you remember of what's happened over the last few chapters, if you've been with us, is that we've seen Jesus in a bunch of confrontational situations. Jesus is standing up for himself and who he is, and the religious establishment among the Jewish people, they don't like it at all. And so Jesus, we think of Jesus as, as welcoming the little, the little children and patting people on the head and telling them how great they are, but he's involved in some real heavy conflict here. There is a group of people that want to kill him for the things that he's saying and the things that he's doing, and he is actively standing up against them throughout these chapters. And so finally, when we get to John chapter 8, verse 31, I read verse 31, and I think to myself, finally, we can have just a nice, calm conversation. And the reason I think that is because of how verse 31 begins. So Jesus said, John writes, to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And it starts off, and we start to have this great interaction. So now Jesus is talking to those who believe in him. Now he's among friends. He's been with all these religious leaders. They don't like him. They don't like what he's saying. They want him out of their temple. They want him to leave, and it gets contentious. 
But now Jesus is among his friends. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. But then something happens if you keep reading. Things go downhill quick. Because just a couple of verses later, Jesus reveals the delusion that these folks are living in. Jesus reveals to them that they think that they're believers, but they might actually not be. Because here's the thing that he starts to say about them. Jesus says about these people that he's speaking to, he says to them, you know, you're actually slaves to sin. I mean, these are his friends. And Jesus, rather than than saying nice things about them, he says to them, you're actually slaves to sin. And then he says to them, he said, my word finds no place in you. And we started wondering, what in the world is Jesus talking about? These are the people that, that like him. We've had this problem with the people that don't like him. These are the people that like him. And so he says to you, you're slaves to sin. My word finds no place to you. And then he takes it even a step further. And he says, you're actually children of the devil. Your father is the devil. And also, just to top it off, so they're very clear on what Jesus is thinking at this point, he calls them liars. And the whole thing ends, the whole deal ends with these people, the believers, Jesus' friends, the allies, the people on his side, picking up stones. This is how the story ends. Picking up stones so that they can kill Jesus, and Jesus slips away. And it's interesting to me why this turns out this way. Why is it that when Jesus is among believers and allies, it starts to go this direction? What Jesus does very quickly is he says to these people who come to him and believe that they believe in him, you really don't believe in me at all. In fact, he says back to them, in some way, shape, or form, you're actually delusional. See, you think you believe you're one thing, but you're really something else. And the reason Jesus says this to them, the reason Jesus looks at them and tells them that they're delusional is because Jesus says they are dismissing something, or I'm sorry, they're in denial about something that is true in their life. Look what happens here in these verses. Jesus talks to the believers, and he says those lines, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Look how they respond to this in verse 33. As we start to look at what they were in denial about, this is what the people say back to Jesus in verse 33. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become truly free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free Indeed. Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And they said to Jesus, they look back at Jesus, they said, we are children of Abraham and we've never been enslaved to anyone. Now, it's an interesting thing for this group of people who they're saying we're children of Abraham. They're speaking to the fact that they're Jewish people. It's an interesting line, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever taken a basic history course. But for the Jewish people to look back at Jesus and say, we have never been enslaved to anyone is an interesting line, isn't it? So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt here. I don't believe they're talking about history because the reality is the Jews have been enslaved many times. They were in slavery in Egypt. They were in slavery under the Persians and the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And in fact, right now, as they're talking to Jesus, Rome is in charge. 
They're enslaved under Rome. They're under Rome's power. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't believe that they had the worst history class in the history of, of the world. I don't think that's what they're talking about. I think they're saying back to Jesus on a spiritual level, because Jesus is talking about a spiritual level, we're children of Abraham. We are God's chosen people. God has always been on our side. Jesus, I don't know if you know the stories, but like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, like those are our people. God has always been on our side. God has always been for us. So what in the world are you talking about that we, are, that we need to be set free? We, we are free. We're God's chosen people. God is on our side. And Jesus says back to them, you're living in denial. You are living in denial if you believe for a second that you are not enslaved to something. Because anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Freedom is something that's important to us, isn't it? It's important to you. It's important to me. It is, it is something that, that is talked about a lot in our culture. We are for freedom. We want people to be free. We want people to be free to express themselves. We want to be free ourselves to do what it is that we want to do. That is an important thing for us. And the idea that we are actually enslaved to something, the idea that something else has control about us, around us, is something that we don't like. In fact, most of us would say, most of us would say that, that we're the ones that have control, that we aren't enslaved by things. But do me a favor real quick. I'm not the only person in the room that owns one of these, right? You own one too? Uh, some other people have these? Just pull it out real quick. Pull it out. Most of you already have it in your hand. I see that. That's all right. Most of you have been reading this thing for the last 15 minutes, okay? So, and I, I believe you're reading the Bible, but maybe it was Facebook. Uh, so take this thing out. Uh, we all got this thing. We all got this because it increases freedom, right? You got it and I got it because it increases our freedom. There was a day, and maybe you remember this, there was a day that to talk to someone on the phone, you actually had to be close to a phone that did not come with you. Does anyone else remember those days? There was a, there was a phone that existed in your home. And that phone, you had to be near it. If you weren't near it, you didn't get the call. And so we said to ourselves, we will increase our freedom. We will increase our freedom by creating a phone that comes with us. So we're not tethered anymore to this ball and chain that sits in our house that we cannot answer unless we're near it. And so we will have great freedom by creating this phone that we take with us. And then we said, why just take the calls with us? Let's take everything with us. Because there's email, and there's social media, and there's news that we need, and there's no way we can wait till 11 o'clock at night to get this news. We need it now. And so we said, we'll take all of the news with us, and all of the social media, and all of the email, and everything else. We will take it with us, and imagine the freedom we will have. Imagine how free will we be, we will be, when... Uh, we can go with all of it. Now, do me a favor. Take the phone and take that power button and turn it off. I don't mean silence it. I mean all the way off. How does that feel? I can tell you I'm freaking out. <laughs> I don't like it at all. I want this thing to be on. <laughs> Let me tell you something. We created this thing to give us great freedom. How many of us are enslaved to this thing? I am. This controls me way more than I control it. This thing is in charge of me far more than I'm in charge of this phone. 
It doesn't turn off. I turned it off this morning when I was practicing this sermon. I don't remember the last time I turned it off. Even when it updates, it turns itself off. I don't turn it off. I silence it, but I don't turn it off off. If I hadn't done that this morning, this would have been the first time that I turned this phone off in a long time. And I bet you're similar to me. That even the idea of turning it off right now, you're wondering, maybe this is the one moment in all the moments that someone really needs to get a hold of me and now they can't. Because this thing controls us way more than we control it. Some of you didn't even do it. You couldn't do it. Some of you were like, ah, I'll just put it down on the seat. Forget that. Uh, you can turn it back on. I'm going to turn mine on. That's all right. It still works. All right. The World Health Organization this week just classified internet addiction as a real mental disorder. And uh, a London hospital announced this week with that announcement that they were opening the first addiction, uh, internet addiction clinic in the world. It's needed, right? We know it's needed. We know that that's a real disorder. In fact, most of us have found ourselves at many different points saying, I'm going to get some work done, and then three hours on the internet later, we still have that work there. We know what it's like to get caught up in this thing. But the internet was created for great freedom. We could share things. People could share files. Government could share files, do all of these things, medical files. That's why it was originally created. It was to provide great freedom, and yet it enslaves us and controls us. And Jesus says to the people, you think you're free. You think you're making all these choices and doing all these things on your own, but let me tell you something. You have a problem. You're actually enslaved to something, and you're a slave to sin. Now, these people were very familiar with God's law. They knew the law in and out, and they tried their best to follow it, but all of them fell short at some point. And if you were to go through, if you were to go through and read all the rules that God has in the book, and you were to say, I'm going to keep all the law, I promise you, you can't do it. We fall short. And it's not just about falling short, and that's what the Bible would call sin, knowing what God tells us to do and not doing it, or, not really, or, or knowing that God tells us not to do something and doing it. That's sin. And all of us have done it. All of us do it. And Jesus says you're actually enslaved to it, and we can really not like that idea. Hearing Jesus say something like that, we say, that's not me. I'm not enslaved to it. Well, here's what I would encourage you to do. Think about the list of rules that are in the book. And from now until you go to bed tonight, just don't sin. Just don't do it. Between now and the time you go to bed, just don't sin. I'm not going to be able to do it. I can promise you that there's going to be some sort of thought that goes through my head or, or a little white lie maybe or something that slips out that I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm not going to be able to treat everyone perfectly the way that I'm supposed to between now. I, I can't say that I'm not going to get upset about something that I shouldn't get upset about or, or say something that I shouldn't say between now and the time that I go to bed. None of us can do it. None of us can get through the day without sinning. And if we really are free, if we really are free, if we're not enslaved by our inability to follow God's law, then it should be, it would seem very easy for us to stop. But it's very hard for us to stop and do the things that God says to do. And Jesus says that's because you're actually enslaved to it. You think that you control it, but it controls you. You think that you're in charge, but really you're the, you're the servant. And the people are in denial about that. Let me tell you, many of us live in the same denial about that in our world today. 
You know, some of us say that we believe in Jesus, but then we still live in denial about this, where we think we're, we're in control and we're free and we're living the life that we should be living and we're doing everything that's right. And we would say, well, God would be happy with us, that God would be happy with us. In fact, if God exists and heaven exists, then God, of course, would let us in because we're good people. We do the right thing and we have good intentions. But Jesus says to these people who thought they were believers, no, 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 you're, you're a bit delusional. You're actually not my followers. And the reason is because you're in denial about the reality of the state of your soul. And here's what happens as a result of all this. The people end up dismissing Jesus. These people who were believers, the friends, the people that were on his side. We think about the masses, the crowds coming to Jesus and, and people coming to get healed. This is a case where the people walk away. Jesus says to them, if, Jesus says to them, you're not my believers because you're in denial about the reality of your soul. You're actually enslaved to sin and you need me to set you free. And then at the very end of this, at the very end of this conversation, Jesus says something that made the blood boil of the people that he was with. To us, it probably seems like not a big deal. To us, it's a comment that we would read and we would just pass over it and it wouldn't even matter. But at the very end of this section of verses, it's right there in verse 57. Jesus says to them, or 58, I'm sorry. Jesus says to them, before Abraham was, I am. Now you wonder, why would that infuriate people so much? Why would the next verse say that they picked up stones to stone Jesus? Well, here's what Jesus is saying. You call yourself children of Abraham, and Abraham was a great guy who God used. And if you know the Old Testament stories, if you grew up in Sunday school, if you know some of those stories, you know Abraham is a big figure in the Bible. And so they're his ancestors. They're his descendants. They are counting on the fact that God likes them because they descend from Abraham. You know how some of us think that we're in God's good graces because grandma went to church every Sunday? They're like the same way. They're just hoping that because their ancestor is Abraham, that God likes them. And Jesus says, listen to me. Before Abraham was, I am. It's written in Greek. And so the phrase there, I am, is ego me. I am in Greek. But see, if you go back to the Old Testament... And you remember what God calls himself in the Old Testament. You look in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God says to Moses at the time, when Moses says, what is your name? Who should I tell them sent me? God says back to Moses, I am who I am. Yahweh is the word in Hebrew. And so God, Jesus is looking at the people and saying very directly to them, and they know exactly what he means. No one applies the phrase I am to themselves. That's God's phrase. And Jesus says to them, before Abraham, you think Abraham was great? Before Abraham, I am. Meaning he is looking at the people and saying, you think Abraham is great and you're trusting him. I am God standing right in front of you. And for him to say that phrase to the people, for him to assert that to the people, that was blasphemy. That's the term. And the penalty of blasphemy is death. And so the people did what they had always been taught to do. If someone's going to blaspheme and call themselves God, they got ready to kill him. And Jesus makes this powerful statement. 
You're trusting and you think you're trusting in Abraham for salvation. I am God standing right in front of you. I have more power than him. I am the one who can set you free. And rather than accept that, they dismissed him. And the reason they dismissed him is because they were disillusioned with who they were. They thought God loved them no matter what because they were Abraham's children. And many of us live that way too. We think God loves us no matter what because we have good intentions and because we're nice people and we always try to do the right thing. That God, of course, would like us. And if God is real and heaven exists, we would definitely get in because we're good people. But we're in denial about the reality of our souls, that God has called us to live a certain way, that God has set a law in place that we can't keep. And so we have a need. And Jesus comes down and he says, I am here to meet that need. You're enslaved to sin. You want to be free? Trust in me. I will make you free indeed. And now here's the thing. When you are living in delusion about what you really are in God's sight and in denial of where your soul really is, that sort of line will cause you to dismiss Christ completely. In fact, most people who really like Jesus, most people who, who really like Jesus, they, they don't understand him fully. They misunderstand him. They think that Jesus came just to do nice things and, and say nice things to people. And he was a good teacher and he, he was nice to children and he helped people out and that we should help people out too, just like he did. No reason to dismiss Jesus if that's how you see him. When people really dismiss Jesus, it's because they understand exactly what he was saying. I am here to forgive you for your sins. I am God standing right in front of you. You need, a, you need to be set free. I will set you free. And, they cause, and that causes these people to dismiss Jesus. I like the way that pastor and author Alistair Begg says it. He puts it this way. Alistair Begg said, people reject the claims of Christ, not because they misunderstand them, but because they understand them too well. He says it with a Scottish accent. It's even better. The son is rejected not because the claims are misunderstood, but because the claims are so clearly understood. You see, when we understand exactly what Jesus says to you and to me, Jesus comes to us and says, listen, you have a problem. You're separated from God, and it's because you are enslaved to sin. And I am here to set you free. If I am understanding my position before God correctly, if I'm not living in delusion, I'm not living in denial, then I accept that and I say, thank you, Lord, and I take that. But if I am am not believing what Jesus says, if I'm in delusion and denial about who I am and who I stand before the Lord, that causes me to dismiss Jesus completely. And it is a powerful statement that you and I have to grapple with. See, here's the reality of where these people were living. They thought they were believers, but they weren't, right? And the reason that they weren't believers is because they thought they were free, but they were not. And the reason they weren't free, we read earlier, is because they didn't understand the truth, Jesus says. And the reason they didn't understand the truth is because they didn't abide in God's word. They weren't truly reading this book. They weren't truly understanding this book. And the reason they didn't abide in the word, Jesus says in those verses, is because they weren't his disciples. And the reason they weren't his disciples is because they really didn't believe. But they thought they believed. They thought they believed. But here's the problem. They didn't. They weren't believers. And the reason they weren't believers is because they were in denial about the reality of their souls. The reason they were in denial is they didn't understand the truth. And the reason they didn't understand the truth is because they didn't abide in God's word. And the reason they didn't abide in God's word is because they weren't really disciples. And the reason they weren't really disciples is because they didn't actually believe. But they thought they believed. 
And the question is, how do you get out of that cycle? Because I got to tell you, many people in the church are in that same cycle. We think that we're believers in Jesus. We think that God is on our side. But the reality is we're in denial about who we really are as sinners before the Lord. And because we're in denial, uh, we can't accept the reality of who Jesus is. And we're in denial because we don't understand the truth of who we are and who God is. We don't understand the truth because we don't take the time to really understand this book and what it's saying. We don't understand this book because we're really not disciples following Jesus. And we're not disciples because we're not really believers in the first place. But we think we are. So how do you get out of that pattern? There's only one way. If you want to get out of a pattern of delusion and denial and dismissal, the only way is to become Jesus' true disciple. To really understand who he is. To really abide in his word, as he said. He says this to them in, in that opening verse. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, many of us think Jesus came to destroy freedom, to hold us in, but Jesus came to give ultimate freedom. True freedom is not the removal of boundaries. True freedom is having the right boundaries in place. Imagine if the World Cup was being played over these next few weeks, and they said, you know what, Our, we don't have enough freedom in this game. There's too many boundaries. There's too many rules. And so they said, we're going to free the game up a little bit. Here's what we're going to do. Let's take away the sidelines, and let's take away the baselines. And each team gets to decide where they put the goal in the stadium. So you put the goal wherever you want. And then each team, you can decide how many players you want on your roster, and you can decide how many players you want to play at one time. And also, you can also decide how many soccer balls will be on the field at any given time. And then, uh, and then there's really no time limit. We'll just, we'll just, let the, we'll just start, and then we, we'll all decide when we're done. How, how much freedom is there to play the game? How much freedom is there if you see a fish in a fish tank and you go to set Nemo free, and so you smash the side of the glass? How much freedom does the fish have now? True freedom is not getting rid of boundaries completely. True freedom is having the right boundaries in place so that the game can be played well, so that you can thrive the way that you were created. And Jesus comes and God's law is there not to restrict freedom, but because the God who created you knows the environment in which you will thrive. And so he puts the right boundaries in place. And Jesus says, if you will trust me and abide in my word, I will bring you freedom like you will never experience in this world. It is funny and very tragic to me how we keep taking down barriers in our world and keep pretending we're more and more free when we all know the reality that people are becoming more and more enslaved. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward this morning as we close. Something else happened in the life of the church this week that I just wanted to share with you. <laughs> this has been, if, you, if you're a part of our church regularly, this has been quite a stretch we've been on. Uh, there's a lot of things that have happened in the life of the church. And it's just one of those times where people are facing some, some real stuff. Last week, as, as some of you know, I was in our Burlington campus, and uh, Pastor Rick was here in Belmont. When I was at the Burlington campus, one of the families that I saw was Sam and Rosina Feadu. 
Now, some of you that have been with us about Hope for a long time before we started here in Belmont a few years ago probably know Sam and Rosina, and they have four children. And Sam and Rosina, they've been a big part of this church for about 20 years. Uh, Sam has served as an elder on the church board. He served as a deacon on the church board. Uh, They've been an important family to the life of the church, and their kids grew up in this church. Lori and I had a number of their children when we were running the youth ministry in, in Burlington. Their oldest son's name is Kwaku. Their family's from Ghana. Their oldest son's name is Kwaku. Kwaku uh, is a smart guy. Went to Princeton University, got his undergrad and graduate degree from Princeton. Just had been accepted uh, to be a PhD program at West Virginia. 27 years old. Last Sunday when I was in Burlington, Sam came up to me, Kwaku's father, and he said to me, he said, Kwaku is back in the hospital. He's been there for about a week. Now, Kwaku, a number of years ago, had been diagnosed with Stills disease, which is a disease that can lie dormant in the body and then flare up. But he'd been in the hospital many, many times. And so Sam said to me, you know, we'll get through this one too. Well, Wednesday I got a text that this 27-year-old brilliant kid, Princeton degrees in molecular biology, PhD program starting this fall, passed away pretty unexpectedly. His team of doctors didn't think this would be the time, but God called him home. Friday night, Lori and I went with Pastor Rick and Wendy up to Sam and Rosina's house in Chumsford. I'll tell you what I expected to find. I expected to find devastation. I expected to find a family that was torn apart and broken. I found the exact opposite. I found a mom and a dad who were sitting around in the living room with other people from the church who were praising God for the 27 years that they had with their son. Who were thanking God that in his infinite wisdom and understanding, God knew exactly what he was doing and this was not a surprise. Thanking God that their son was in heaven and one day they would see him. Now they were sad, don't get me wrong. They were very sad that the Lord chose to take their son at such an early age. But devastated was not the word at all. Because all these things that Jesus said about bringing freedom, they fully believed. I can tell you, Kwaku was a young man who trusted God and followed him with his heart. And I believe wholeheartedly that he is in God's presence now. And Sam and Rosina believe that is true. It's not just a theory that's on a page. They believe it's true. And so they are set free. Not to be devastated, but to thank God for his goodness, even in the midst of tragedy. And I wonder for you, are you experiencing that sort of freedom in your life? Where no matter what happens in this world, you're free to know that God is in control. No matter what comes, whether it's great news or horrendous news, that God is at work and that he loves you and has an amazing plan for you. Are you experiencing that sort of freedom in your life? It's available to you if you would choose to follow Jesus. So God, we thank you today that you are a God who loves us enough 
to offer us freedom from the things of this world. Lord, help us to follow you, not just as people who think we believe and don't, but as people who are true disciples of you. We give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we close this morning. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 10 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E.org, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at M-T- Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us and we look forward to having you listen again next week.